Ladies and gentlemen, it's fall. Welcome to fall. It's a beautiful, semi-cloudy, foggy day here in downtown Petaluma, where, if you're walking the streets, you can enjoy Petaluma's Fall Antique Fair. Yes, antiques as far as the eye can see, of every shape and size. If you want it, and if it's old, you can find it today. I, uh, I walked through the antique fair on my way to the radio studio today. Pretty incredible stuff out there, you guys. Like antiques, like uh, telephones, telephone booths were out there. Um, regular network television was there. They had a booth. Let's see, what other antiques were there? Um, the computer games that I remember from my youth, those were all there. No, not really. Lots of furniture and stuff. Um, guys, how you doing? Doing good out there? You're listening to KPCALP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM. And this is Benedettiville Small Town Adventures. And you're listening to Gio Benedetti. And I am, alas, alone in the studio today. Jenny and Stella and Emmeline are coming back from a weekend excursion, girls only. And um, they might be by later. I hope they come by later. Uh, so it's just me. And I... I'm still sick. I'm still super congested. I still have a cold. What's the good thing about having a cold for a really, really long time? I'll tell you what the good thing about having a cold for a long, long time is. It inspires poetry. Ladies and gentlemen, it inspires. I think all of you know who have been sick for weeks on end, how all of a sudden the mind turns to poetry and to rhyming and to that heady mixture of feeling and letters. The alchemy of the mind and the pen that doth create the magical words of poetry. Um, well, you guys know, if you've been listening, that I still want to be Shel Silverstein. I still want to be the... I want to take on the mantle of kid poet numero uno. And because I've been so inspired by having this cold, I wrote another poem about being sick. Now I'm going to read it to you. If anybody out there is also suffering from a head cold, this one goes out to you specifically. All you healthy people out there that are breathing easy and can taste your food and uh, don't need a box of Kleenex next to your bed at night, this poem's not for you. In fact, I'm rather upset with all of y'all. A little bit of jealousy right there coming through the radio waves, and I am not ashamed to admit it. Now, without further ado, this is a poem called Head Cold Superhero, and it goes like this. <laughs> you ready for this? I'm hoping this is the only poem in the world that's ever started out with this line. Buckle up. I'm a booger factory. I'm making quite a lot. I've replaced most of my head and brain with brand new grade A snot. I'm the number one nose blower. My nose blows can't be beat. If you can get past my green wadded Kleenex tower, we'll compete. I'm the champion of congestion. I'm more stuffed up than a couch. I could teach a giant teddy bear what stuffing's all about. I'm a snot and mucus monster. I've got it by the ton. My nose is now a cool, super-powered mucus gun. 
I'm a real head cold hero. Call me Snot Man, if you please. I'm available for autographs, but watch out in case I sneeze. I'm a head cold superhero. I'm the best that's ever been, but I'd trade it all for just one chance to taste my food again. True story, that. I would literally trade all of my super amazing head cold powers just to be able to taste food. You guys know what it's like to just chomp on things for two weeks with no flavor? Some of you do. And I'm in solidarity with you guys. All right, well, uh, thanks for coming to my poetry corner. And I believe you know what's happening next because I got this big red light that's blinking at me. It is sponsor time. It is sponsor time. So let's make sure that we get our sponsor in there. Uh, who's our sponsor today? Oh, yeah. This is important. Guys, listen up. I know sometimes we have sponsors that just seem silly, but sometimes we have really practical sponsors. And uh, I think today is one of those days. So pay attention. Coming at you. got some bridges to cross on your way to work or school? Are you a billy goat with the last name Grub? Well, worry no more. We here at Penzinger's Potent Potions Emporium have just what you need. Troll Be Gone Misting Spray. Yes, this spray contains enough concentrated sunlight, essence of sunshine, and organically harvested sunrises to keep away even the most aggressive sun protection wearing troll out there. No more trip-tropping over bridges in fear. No more depending on magical wizard voices around a campfire to get you out of that sack. Try new Troll Be Gone Misting Spray now and let your troll worries be over. Troll Be Gone Misting Spray comes in three popular scents. Lilac, citrus, and wet dog. Troll Be Gone Misting Spray must be used as directed. Not effective with dragons, goblins, ogres, or other mystical creatures. Never use before operating a cannon. Never use around gnomes. They go crazy when the staff will try to take you home with them. Read all warning labels before using. Never spray in eyes unless you want extra vision. And never spray in mouth. Tastes like dirty sauce filled with fish. Potential side effects include, but are not limited to, shrinking, growing, changing color, mild levitation, fire breathing, disappearing, multiplying, teleportation, disintegration, and itchy eyes. Please talk to your family magician or sorcerers before using Penzinger's Tropic on Mystery Spray. Penzinger's Trollbegun Misting Spray. Yeah, I mean, it's fall. I don't know if you guys knew that, know this, but um, I've been talking to Blue, and Blue is, as you know, the expert on trolls, especially in the Petaluma, Sonoma County area. Did you know that trolls are seasonal? Yeah, I know. You probably are like, hey, Joe, I haven't even seen a troll. That's because it's summertime. Trolls hate the heat. But with this overcast weather, with this cooler weather coming in, with fall coming in, coming into winter, Oh, ladies and gentlemen, children, boys and girls, watch out, man. It's troll season. And in troll season, you better pick up some of that Troll Be Gone misting spray. Uh, if you haven't found it, if your local stores aren't carrying it, let us know at Benedettiville. Mail at Benedettiville.com. 
and uh, we'll uh, we'll point you in the right direction. We've got the inside line with Penzinger's Potent Potables. So, um, hey guys, while that commercial was playing, I blew my nose 27 times. Um, if you guys want to hear me blow my nose on the air, it's an amazing sound. Uh, it's a very powerful thing. All you got to do is call in and request it. I don't want to do it if people don't want to hear it. I don't want to impose that on you. But I'm pretty sure that you guys would be stoked to hear it. So the phone number here in the studio is 707-981-7577. And, uh, yeah, just let me know. Let me know if you want one of these amazing nose blows to be an on-air nose blow. I'd be happy to do it. And, um, yeah, just give a call. 707-981-7577. In the meantime... Let's see what we have here. Oh, I wonder what this could be. Hmm. Uh, we have absolutely no news in the Benedettiville Book Club this week. Uh, we haven't started a new book. The Witches is still too scary. And um, I just really wanted to play that song. Yep. So uh, if you guys have any recommendations, let us know. We got that uh, email address. You can also drop us a letter if you want to write it down on a piece of paper, put a stamp on it, put in an envelope, flip that, put the stamp on the envelope, and mail it to P.O. Box 336 to the Mail Depot. That's on 44th Street in Petaluma, California, 94952. Uh, that'd be great. We'd love to see some mail from you guys. Um, and once again, there is absolutely no news, no new news in the... Man, just can't get enough of that. Well, um, let's see. We do have a guest coming into the studio today. You guys will, will re- remember this familiar fellow. Um, it's Mr. Robert Boss. He's going to come by and do some painting. It's actually a Robert Boss rerun, and you'll know it's a rerun because he gives it away if you pay attention to what he's saying. Um, he makes some very outlandish claims like, I'm in Australia. I'm not. I'm right here in the studio in Petaluma. So uh, don't listen to him. But um, let's, get, uh, let's get some lovely Rivertown voices to tell us what station we're listening to, and then let's get Robert Boss in the studio. What do you say? I think that's a great idea, Jill. Let's do that. Oh, thanks, radio listeners, for saying that to me loudly enough for people to hear it on the air. Here we go. 103.3 KBCA. Still the world's only painter on the radio. I'd like to thank the kind people of Benedettiville again for asking me to come back. I've never had two shows at the same place before. And I'd like to thank all of you great people out there who sent in your letters demanding another Paint Like a Robert Boss episode. You asked for it, you got it. And today, because that Geo character is off in Australia,
Australia, I thought we'd just do a wonderful, marvelous little happy painting of a hoppity doppity little kangaroo today, okay? Now make sure you have all your supplies and follow along with my very simple yet absolutely innovative techniques and steps in our painting today. We'll start with a bit of blue and slap a nice little sky back there. Okay, now because we're painting the kangaroo today, I'll be jumping up and down as I paint everything. I think it's very important to try and understand the subject you're painting, and because of that, I'll be jumping up and down, just kind of swinging my big grip brush around, more or less in the direction of the canvas, okay? But don't let the direction of the canvas get you down. You can just kind of wing it around all willy-nilly if you want. It's just real fun. Be real free, just like a kangaroo in the outback. Okay. Whew. All right, I think we got one real beautiful sky there. Our kangaroo today will be brown, and as will the grassy, dusty ground that he hops around on. Okay, that means we're going to need a lot of brown, doesn't it, folks? And when you need to get a lot of paint on the canvas real quick, it's nice to not have to bother with these teeny, tiny little brushes. Heck, it would take all day. Now, the good people at the radio studio have told me that under absolutely no circumstances can I use my chainsaw brush again here, and that's fine. Not everyone can have a real nice appreciation for the arts. I understand. But I won't waste your time and mine with a bunch of brushy, brushy nonsense, no sir. So this week, I've got a fire hose. And I modified this here water pump and filled these buckets with tons of all kinds of brownish paints and stuff. And as soon as I get my goggles on here, well, okay, yeah, let's fire it up. Okay, here we go. here looks absolutely fabulous with just a whole mess of brown paint hose all around all crazy like just real really really nice and uh yeah i think this painting is just about as done as it can be i'll just sign it here with a little swish of the old mustache swish 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 and we'll call this show over thanks for tuning in everyone and we will see you next time right here on paint like a robert boss toodaloo like a Robert Boss, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys are following along at home. Um, we've gotten a lot of uh, people writing in to say how really enjoyable and how freeing and just really uh, joyful the act of painting with 
uh, very strange converted power tool implements can be. And I, you know, if you've ever met Robert Boss, you can see just that sparkle of complete joy. Some call it madness. We think it's joy in his eyes. And uh, I'm so glad that we get to share that with all of you out there in Radio Land. Um, I'd like to play a song for you. And this is a song that started when uh, Stella Jean was about one year old. Not even. She was probably like six months old. And she was just a tiny little thing that would squawk and cry uh, in uh, kind of wherever she was, um, as some babies are wont to do. And I started singing a song to her. And um, that song kind of stuck around, and then we recorded it one year, and Stella helped me play it. This was before Little Emmy was even born. So this was uh, Stella. You're going to hear Stella playing some harmonica, some accordion. You're going to hear her um, playing, uh, is that it? I think there's some other stuff in there, too. Anyway, it's a fun one. Hope you enjoy some deep cuts from the Benedettiville Vault. This is called Play Something. You could play. It doesn't even have a real title. Why, hello there. We're going to sing a song about playing all sorts of different instruments. So I hope that some fine day, while you're out on your musical adventures, you have the opportunity play all of these instruments because they're fun. Here we go. Well, you could play guitar and I could sing a song. I could sing a song and you could play guitar. You could play guitar and I could sing a song. Until you learn to play the harmonica Then you could play harmonica And I could sing a song I could sing a song while you play the harmonica You could play harmonica while I could sing a song Until you learn to play the accordion Then you could play accordion and I could sing a song I could sing a song while you play the accordion. You could play accordion while I would sing a song until you learn to play the slide whistle. Then you would play the slide whistle and I would sing a song. I would sing a song while you played on your slide whistle. You could play slide whistle and I could sing a song until you learned to play the banjo. Then you could play the banjo and I could sing a song. I would sing a song while you played on the banjo. You could play the banjo and I could sing a song until you learned to play the drums. Then Then 
we ran out of things to sing about. You're listening to Benadavieville, KPCA FM. Thank you, Cooper, for the station ID, and thank you, Stella, for the awesome accompaniment. Ladies and gentlemen, last week I made the bold move that I hadn't done in months of saying, to be continued. That's right, I finished part of the story, and then I said, to be continued. Um, faithful listeners will recall that one time I didn't really make good on the promise of to be continued, and I left the story uncontinued for weeks. And then the story police caught up with me, and it got kind of hairy. Um, if you're wondering what that's all about, you can find it back in the uh, podcast archives. You can find us on benedettiville.com and, and check all that out. Um, but fear not, because this week, this week, the story shall be continued. Last week we began a story about Josie. And Josie was a girl, 10 years old. And she had been trained since she was born. All kinds of training. How to fight. How to survey a situation. How to escape any situation. Traps. Alarms. How to avoid detection. She was a very gifted and very special child, but she didn't really know why. It was always to avoid them. They were always maybe going to come for her, and her uncle trained her and prepared her day after day after day until finally they did show up. That was the story last week. And Josie had to escape, and she had to press the emergency button, which blew the house where she and her uncle had lived to smithereens. She was left in a tunnel complex, scrambling away, having only taken her backpack and the all-important emergency kit with her. And that's where we pick up our story, with Josie in the underground tunnel, still scrambling away from the recently exploded house. They, part two. Josie didn't know what time it was when she finally stumbled into the cave. The first night, according to escape protocols, would be spent in the cave. It was small, circular, and, for a cave, pretty cozy. She had spent many a night there before. Then, it had been practice. She had always had a home to go back to. She had felt capable, safe, and brave. She had woken up the next morning, hiked home, and had a hot breakfast, gone to school, lounged around the house. Tonight was different. Tonight, she was on the run from them. They were real, and they had somehow bypassed every clever defense that she and her uncle had set and gotten to the house completely unannounced. The house was only ashes now. Josie had destroyed it as part of her emergency escape protocol. Scenario 23. She was exhausted. She had no home to return to. She was frightened and felt very alone in the dark underground world of the tunnels. She dug along the wall of the cave until she uncovered the small hole that held the matches and the lone candle for the cave, restocked last Saturday. She took it out of its plastic bag, set it in its holder in the cave wall, and lit it. 
The small gold light from the candle was shockingly bright after the hours of total darkness. She dug the sleeping bag from its hiding hole, found the stash of dried food, and hunkered down to eat. To eat and to think, her head was a whirl of questions. Where was her uncle? Had he escaped them? Had they captured him already? How had they gotten past the alarms and warning systems at the house? Who were they? Why were they after her? Why had she spent the last ten years training to fight, to escape, to outthink them, and not been told why? Why had her uncle, uncle never answered her most important questions? Why was she, a ten-year-old girl, stuck in an underground cave, eating trail mix for dinner, while a nefarious team of well-armed them was out to get her? And why didn't she have any idea why? The confusion turned into frustration, which turned into anger. She felt abandoned. She felt trapped. She felt very, very angry. And then she began to feel very, very warm. She looked up from her tin of nuts and dried berries. The candle flame was huge. It had expanded into a softball-sized globe of churning, angry-looking fire. Josie's jeans nearest to the candle were smoking with the heat. The candle flame grew bigger and hotter every second. Josie scooted herself away, her clothes damp from the tunnel journey, smoking in the intense heat. The flame grew. Josie could only stare at it, her back against the wall of the cave now. The flame as large as a basketball and intensely hot. Her confusion and anger still raged behind her eyes, and the fire gathered intensity until... Ow! She looked down. Something had bit her thumb. Something had bit her thumb very hard. A large black rat sat on the floor of the cave, staring up at her. Her thumb had deep teeth marks on it, and drops of blood were welling up. The ball of fire was gone. The candle flame was just a small, flickering candle flame again. Josie put her thumb in her mouth and stared at the rat. It stared back at her. Did the rat look disappointed in her? The rat chittered at her in what Josie thought sounded like very stern reprimands. It's gotta just be my nerves, thought Josie. The rat scurried away into the dark. A ball of fire and a disappointed rat. Let's add those to the list of things to think about, thought Josie. She would have to get her answers to her questions tomorrow. She felt drained. She felt more tired than she had ever felt. Tomorrow, according to escape protocol, she would rendezvous with her uncle at the safe house. She'd have to get her answers then. With that meeting as her lone comforting thought, Josie fell into an exhausted, troubled sleep. The candle had burned out by the time Josie woke. She checked her wristwatch. It was 5 a.m. She put the sleeping bag sleepily back into its hidey hole and, after finishing the beef jerky and the trail mix for breakfast, continued on down the tunnels. She followed the maze of darkness. She turned at the right times, kept her hand on the tunnel wall, knew the marks and the signs, and followed the curving and winding ways until, finally, she reached a stairway dug into the earthen wall of the tunnel. The stairs ended at a wooden hatch. She unlatched it and pushed up with all of her strength. In a shower of dirt and leaves and grass, the hatch gave and her head emerged into the early morning light of the oak forest that surrounded the town. She took a deep, thankful breath fresh forest air. She replaced the hatch and covered it with the sod and leaves and sticks so that it blended with the forest around it. She walked the remaining mile to the safe house, crisscrossing the forest in wild, unpredictable routes. At times, she would leap from tree to tree to further confuse any would-be pursuers. All 
the while remaining alert and careful to avoid the alarms and traps she and her uncle had set around the perimeter. After taking every conceivable precaution, Josie approached the house and went in. The safe house was a tiny, ramshackle, one-room building in the middle of a ring of massive oak trees. Inside, there was a desk with a lamp on it and a cot. Nothing had been disturbed, and her uncle was not there. Josie sagged with disappointment. On the desk, she saw a single piece of paper. She picked it up. It was a letter from her uncle, and it read, My brave girl, I'm sorry I cannot be here. It's much too dangerous for me to try and reach you for now. I'm trying to lead them away from you, and I hope they will follow me. Rely on the emergency pack. It knows best. I'd wish you good luck, but I know you're the cleverest, strongest, best-trained girl in the world. You won't need luck. See you soon, I hope. Love, Uncle. Josie yelled. She cursed. She stomped. She screamed. She couldn't help it. She was furious with the secrecy, with the clues, with the scenarios, the danger, the loneliness, and the loss, and... Her uncle was not there. With a loud pop and a crash, the small windows of the shack shattered the glass flying out towards the forest. The door was blasted outwards also, snapping itself in two against the trunk of an oak tree. The noise brought Josie's furious, wandering mind back to herself, and she shook the anger away. What the heck was that all about? She scanned the forest for signs of them, but saw nothing. She scoured the room, searching for the source of the blast. Nothing. Well... At least she had the clue of the emergency kit. It knows best, her uncle had written. A strange way to put it, thought Josie. She pulled the emergency kit out of her backpack and placed it on the desk. In all of her training, in all of the scenarios she had practiced, she had never, ever, 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 ever opened the emergency kit. Her uncle had made it very clear that it was for a real emergency and only a real emergency. Well, here she was, right in the middle of a real emergency. The emergency kit was an old metal Batman lunchbox with a homemade label taped over the top with big black lettering that read, Emergency Kit. It had two latches. She clicked them open and raised the lid. Inside were four things. A small key. A block of cheese in a plastic bag. A small piece of paper. And an ornate doorknob. She picked each of them up. The key was a small key. For a locker? A padlock? A door? She had no idea, and the key had no writing or helpful clues. The cheese seemed, she was relieved to find, fresh, and it smelled like cheddar? She didn't know. She couldn't be sure. How it was still fresh and unspoiled, she had no idea. The piece of paper was a notice from the local library that a book that she had ordered, called A Very Helpful Book for Days Like Today, had arrived. She certainly hadn't ordered the book, but the notice very clearly had her name on it. And the ornate doorknob was just that. It was a doorknob with beautiful and intricate carvings over its entirety. There may have been some writing, but it was so decorative, and it was so foreign to her eye that it could have just as easily have been more filigree and artful embellishment. There were no attachments or holes to screw it in or fix the handle to any door. It was just flat on the other side of the knob. Just a single, ornate, heavyish knob with a flat back. Josie took out the library notice and put it in her pocket. She rolled the key onto her key ring. The cheese and the doorknob she'd left in the pack latched it closed and returned it to her backpack. All right, then, thought Josie. Next stop, 
the library. She lit a match and burned her uncle's letters, scattering the ashes. She shrugged and sighed at the safe house with its shattered windows and broken door, and then she trudged on into the forest towards town. The wild forest eventually gave way to trails and signs as she crossed onto the property of the local park. The trails eventually led to streets and neighborhoods. Josie pulled her hood tight around her face, tightened her backpack straps, and headed for the library. Ooh, mysterious stories. What is going on, Josie? Man, she doesn't know. I don't know. Do you guys know? Um, we're going to continue that story a little bit later on. But as you know, we can only go so long here at Benedettiville Small Town Adventures on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM, streaming online at KPCA.FM. Before it's time to play a message from our sponsors, our dear sponsors who keep us on the air, who keep us so wealthy in our magnificent mansion tower on the hillside so that when we do need to come down to the studio, we can have one of our many chauffeurs drive one of our many fantastic hover ships down to the radio station. It's all thanks to the generous sponsorship of people like Dave. Dave, what do you have to say for yourself here, buddy? Listen to Dave, you guys. Hey, hey there, you. I've got space helmets. Dave's space helmets. I've got them all over. I have a house that is almost literally full of space helmets. Used ones. And most of them, to be honest, they're broken. But, but if you want to go to space and you can't afford some slick, fancy, new-fangled, not-broken helmet from my sleazy cousin Dino over at his space helmet shop, well, then shoot. I guess you can have one of mine. No, or buy it. You should buy it. Unless it's really broken, then I I guess I'd just give it to you. But if it's really just kind of scratched up or just rusty, maybe just cracked, then you should pay for those, maybe. My whole downstairs bathroom right now is filled up with official Rugon military surplus helmets. So, if your head is shaped kind of like a donkey, but with big tusks, I have some really nice helmets for you to choose from. Yeah. Oh, still, still going, huh? Okay. Well, there you go. I have lots of space helmets here, and we're not too far out of the way here on Mimas. We're the smallest bunch of matter in the known universe that can hold itself together with its own gravity here on Mimas. You know, a little moon around Saturn. And I know, I know Dino's shop is on Titan, as the biggest moon of Saturn, and they've got all the amusement parks and the space hotels, and they have the galaxy's only trans-universal zoo there. But hey, here on Mimas, we've got a real big crater, lots of other little craters, and it's not crowded at all. 
Okay. I, and I've got a lot of used space helmets. So come on down and get one. I'm Dave. Right, right. Come to Dave's slightly used space helmets. I'm Dave, and I have lots of helmets that are slightly used. The location. Get the location. Oh, yeah, we're way out here. Totally middle of nowhere. Mimus. Smallest moon is Saturn. Way to go, Dave. You really start rooting for Dave in that commercial there, don't you? Hey, you guys need used space helmets? You should talk to Dave. I'm sure he'll cut you a deal. He's a real nice guy. He's not, I'm going to be honest, he's not a terrific businessman. And uh, I know I said that we had really lucrative sponsorships, but that was a blatant lie. No, we give Dave his sponsorships for free because, you know, when you're dealing in used space helmets, uh, you don't always have enough money. And poor old Dave could really use some business. So come on, you guys. Uh, Halloween's coming up. I bet you want to be like a rocket ship space person for Halloween. Well, you're going to want to have a cool helmet. Call up Dave. What's that you say? You don't know how to get in touch with Dave and his used space helmets? Let us know. Benedettiville, we are the conduit to get you in touch with all of our fantastic sponsors. Mail at Benedettiville.com, and we'll put you right in touch with old Dave. Um... We're going to play another song. This is another deep cut from the uh, ancient, way back when, Benedettiville EP. Um, came out on uh, the uh, Blue Note label in uh, 1965, coming straight out of New York. Just kidding. Uh, it came out for Christmas, and we gifted it to our family. Um, there's a guy named Roger Miller, wonderful songwriter. He's hilarious. And we took one of the songs, and we wrote a few extra verses for it, and it came out sounding like this. Here's a list of things, you guys, that you can't do.
Abdu. That's probably the best way to sing. Hey, you guys, everybody at home, everybody in your car right now, just take a minute and try some doodly boo. Enjoy that. Good golly, but that's a nice time. Um, well, all right, you made it through our sponsor. You made it through a ridiculous song about things that you can't do. Let's check in with Josie. She's on her way to the library. She opened up the emergency kit, found four really strange things, and now she's heading for the library. The library was an old stone building on a corner in the heart of the downtown. It was two stories of old, massive stone and filled with racks and racks of rich-smelling wood shelves and towers of books. Josie loved the library, but she had absolutely no recollection of requesting any books there. But there was the notice in her pocket. She didn't think about it too much. She was really trying not to think about anything too much. Not candles, not exploding windows, not her uncle, not them, not strange notices for strange books at her local library. Her route to the library was wild and zigzagged. She changed her clothes at one point in the public restroom by the fountain. And when she was as sure as she could be that she wasn't followed, she walked up the wide stone stairs and entered the library. She presented the notice from her pocket to the librarian at the counter. The librarian was an older man wearing square glasses with droopy jowls. He barely looked at Josie as he took the printed notice, walked behind the counter, fetched a book, and slid it over to her. Josie took the book upstairs to her favorite reading nook. Amidst the fantasy and adventure novels in a wide, padded chair, her back to a corner, looking out over the rest of the second floor and over the banister down into the first. It was, she had found, the best vantage point to view the entire library. She sat back and looked at the book that she had, apparently, requested. It was thin, but bound in hard black leather. The lettering on the cover was embossed in silver, and it read, A very helpful book for days like today. There was no listed author. She opened it to its very first page and began to read. The book said, It was early in the morning. Josie woke up confused and uncomfortable in the darkness of the cave. The candle had gone out, and she was still chasing away the fog of troubled dreams. Josie, sitting there in the library, slammed the book closed and took a deep breath. What. The. Heck. Who had written that? How did this book know what had happened to her this morning? She had woken up out of a rather terrible dream about burning houses and black cars. She added another million questions to the question pile, then opened the book again, flipping ahead some pages. She read, The shock, surprise, and anger of her uncle's letter, of his apparent abandonment of her, ignited her powerful, yet still unknown and uncontrolled magical powers. The powers unleashed in a burst of fury that blasted the windows out of their frames and the door off of its hinges. Josie squeaked, and a nearby librarian shushed her rudely. Josie mumbled an apology. What? This was a book that knew all about her every move, and it was even offering her answers, but magic? Magic powers. It was offering ridiculous, impossible answers, but reading a book that knew the intimate details of her day was already both impossible and ridiculous. She flipped pages, and she read. 
As far as she knew, Josie had made it to the library undetected. They, however, were watching her every move. They were very close behind her and would soon descend upon the library. Josie gasped and looked up and around the library, her eyes narrowed, her legs shaking just a little bit. The jowly librarian downstairs was frowning over his computer. The shushy librarian was shelving books just yards away. A mother with two small kids was reading in the kids' section. There were easily a dozen other people scattered around the library, sitting, browsing, reading. Any of them could be them. Josie fought down the nerves and the adrenaline. She flipped forward in the book towards the very end. She saw blank pages. She paged back until she saw writing on a half-filled page. Her jaw dropped as she watched words appear on the page before her eyes. They, dressed in a bright blue and pink dress, her silver hair and glasses giving her a very unassuming grandmotherly appearance, stepped through the library doors and passed directly beneath Josie's watchful eyes. Josie looked up from the book. There, on the first floor, walked a grandmotherly woman in a bright blue and pink dress, her silver-haired head turning this way and that, a pleasant smile on her bespeckled face. Josie's heart started to beat very fast. She got up from her chair and started to walk towards the elevator. She glanced back at the book. Josie's first thought was to take the elevator, but the elevator was being watched. Instead, and luckily for her, Josie glanced at this book and was guided safely out of the library. She counted to seven and then calmly walked down the stairs, turning immediately at the bottom of the stairs to duck under one of the computer desks. And that was exactly what Josie did. She counted to seven, then she calmly got up and at a normal pace walked down the stairs. Once down to the first floor, she immediately ducked under the nearest computer desk. From beneath the desk, holding the book, she watched a bright blue and pink dress above black shoes pass by and begin to walk up the stairs. She looked at the book. As the grandmother walked upstairs, another of them, this one posing as a green, sweater-wearing, mustachioed retiree, posted up at the library entrance. The only way Josie would get out was by waiting exactly three seconds, and then, in a crouch, sneaking into the bathroom. Josie counted to three and crouched down. The green-sweatered man was standing directly in front of the exit doors in the library lobby. The bathroom doors were just to his right, beyond the checkout counter. Crouched below the level of the entrance desk, she scooted her way towards him. As his eyes swung her way, as she passed the counter and scooched into the exposed, easy-to-view lobby, as she neared the bathroom, he sneezed. Josie darted forward, safe in the bathroom for a moment, her heart beating like a drum. She looked back at the book. The blue and pink-dressed grandmother was still searching the upper floor. Upper floor. Perhaps the green-sweatered man had gotten bored. Perhaps he had seen something he wished to investigate. Whatever the cause, he began to walk into the library. The exit would be clear for exactly 12 seconds. Josie ran from the bathroom, out the exit, and to the bike rack. Josie closed the book, ran from the bathroom, out the exit, and to the bike rack. There was one bicycle on the rack, locked up with a heavy chain and padlock. She experienced one brief moment of panic with the lock until she remembered her emergency kit and the key. 
It was on her keychain. She pulled it out. It fit in the lock perfectly. The lock dropped. The chain fell away, and Josie was riding away from the library, book in hand. She pedaled, and the wind whipped her hair and flew in her face, and she let out a whoop of triumph and nervous excitement. The questions were piling up at a wobbly tower that threatened to fall and bury her, but she had an emergency kit, and she had a very helpful book for days like today. She had the beginnings of answers and the beginnings of hope. She smiled and sped off into the bustle of the town's busy streets. To be continued. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Man, that was quite a little pickle for a little Josie there. I'm glad you found that book. What's next? What are they up to? Who are they, anyway? Stay tuned, folks. This story will continue to unfold every Sunday for the rest of your life. No, just for for several more weeks. Um, in the meantime, you guys know my buddy Rocco Blastorius, right? Well, Rocco has been up to all kinds of interesting shenanigans around the house. He's got video equipment and bases and just stuff everywhere. So I don't know what he's up to, but hopefully we'll all find out soon. In the meantime, he keeps giving me great little Rocco moments of bass jamming and wisdom to share with y'all. Here it is. Take it away, Rocco. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Rocco Block Stories here with y'all. Uh, where did the drums go? Oh yeah, right on. Sorry about that. Didn't know what drum went. Yeah. Uh, I hope that when you woke up today, you had a full box of funk berries for breakfast. Well, I don't know how long you're going to make it through this one. So, keep your eyes open for that. Also, 
this fall, coming up starting uh, October 13th, we're going to be showing up at some libraries. October 13th, we're going to be at the Petaluma Library. And it's free. It's going to be at 10.30. It's a Saturday, 10.30 in the morning. If you want to come and hang out with some puppets and talk imagination and creativity and wacky story time, man, October 13th, 10.30 a.m., Petaluma Library is the place to be. So um, you can check all that out on our website, benedettiville.com, and we'll keep you posted here on the radio show also. So... Yeah, stay in touch. Come on out. We're going to be doing all kinds of stories. And uh, Blue and Rocco always want to say hi to everybody. They're very sociable little puppets. Um, yeah, we hope we get to see you. Uh, mail at Benedettiville.com if you ever have anything that you want to say to us. And, uh, oh, whoa, what is this? It sounds like the ending music. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of another episode of Benedettiville Small Town Adventures. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week right here on KPCA, 3 to 4 p.m. on Sunday. Benedettiville is Geogen, Stella, and Emmeline Benedetti. And the story you heard this episode was they. That was part two of we don't even know how many parts, you guys. It's being written fresh. These are hot, out of the story oven. Um, all stories co-created by the forces of Benedettiville. Big special thanks this episode and every episode to Rob and John down here at KPCA. We'd like to thank our wonderful sponsors, Dave's Slightly Used Space Helmets and Troll Be Gone Misting Spray. Remember, you guys, it is troll season. You can't be too safe. can't really uh, overstate the danger and the need to be on guard for trolls, okay? So, please, you guys, pay attention. Drop us a line anytime about anything. Mail at benedettiville.com, P.O. Box 336 at the Mail Depot, 40 on 4th Street in Petaluma, California, 94952. Can't wait to hear from you guys. Can't wait to talk to you again. We'll see you next week, you guys. Bye. We love you so long.